Welcome to the Nicholas Natalie Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life and take your business to the next level. Today, we're chatting with Nathan McCallum. Nathan McCallum is an Australian fitness blogger and sponsored athlete. Nathan is also known for his fashionable style and quality taste in music. He's built a diverse audience of over a million followers who share his mission to become better versions of themselves in all aspects of life. This is a special episode for me because I've been following Nathan and his content for nearly a decade while doing research. Research, I found the first time I liked one of his posts on Instagram and it was on November 3rd, 2013. I've been along for the ride. Before we dive in, please subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening on and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with a friend that you know would benefit from it. Believe it or not, your shares and reviews help me reach out to guests, which will in turn bring you more value on how to live a fulfilling life. Riddle of the week, what did baby corn say to mama corn? Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out. That was the intro. Now here is the episode. Here's where I want to start. Before your social media journey began, you were working in the fashion industry. And from what I know, your mom is or was a fashion designer. How much did your mom influence your career in fashion? And what elements of her style do you incorporate into your own today? My mom taught fashion design. She wasn't a fashion designer, Ah. but she taught fashion design. Mom was amazing for, like, I've always liked things. I've always had my own style and, like, what I like a lot of the time I couldn't find in stores. And so mum was phenomenal at helping me just like make things that I couldn't find. So mm. I remember there was a, a fashion week a few years back where I was like, I really had in my mind, I wanted this like cloak, this like black wrapped around cloak thing I wanted. I was heading to New York for winter and couldn't find anything like that. So sat down with mum, we dropped some pictures and she like helped design it. And still to this day, I get people tagging in the photos from that fashion week and being like, where did you get this from? We've got to get it. It's a one of one mama bear. That's right. Can't be reproduced anywhere else. This is a an, an original. Yeah, 100%. I've heard you say also that fashion allows you to say who you are without saying a thing, which I really like. What do you think your style says about you? Firstly, I can't take credit for that. I definitely read that somewhere and just thought it made <laughs> sense. So I'm not going to take yeah. that one as my own. You know, I have a quite eclectic sense of style. I really like mixing it up. think my style says that I take myself... I'm considered in everything I do. Like I don't just like kind of rock up and just like whatever happens, happens. I, I have put effort into how I present myself to the world and that's a conscious thing. And even from the little details of like I, I paint my nails because I think it's a fun creative expression and I don't want to take myself too seriously there. Uh, hopefully that's the way I present myself kind of says that a bit. Intentionality is definitely shown. I mean, I've seen you speak on things of being well-groomed for lack of better words, like being well-kept, doing your own haircut and maintaining all of those things. I think like being intentional is shines through in that. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's, I've always wanted to put the best foot forward in every situation. So if you're making an effort to present yourself, you've already taken one step in the right direction. Yeah, that's very true. Let's fast forward a little bit to the blog. You had a rock and blog on Tumblr, the Bangarang blog. And back when you had long hair and the curled mustache combo, the blog reached about 50K subscribers in a time where having subscribers and followers was like yet to be a thought. Yeah. And there was a man named Nick Wooster who reposted your blog a couple times. What did you learn about the internet from having Nick repost your blogs? I owe a lot to Nick. He's actually become a friend in later years, which is great. But he was just like the alpha dog of menswear. He was a guy that he had a legitimate career in fashion as both a buyer and 
mover and shaker in that world. And he had his blog and he, yeah, he, he reposted a few things of mine and just seeing the response of, of reaching a new audience that was, that really gravitated to what his influence was. Cause influencer wasn't a term then either. Like there was no yeah. such thing. It was just like you had influence on people, but it wasn't a term. Maybe blogger. Well, yeah, it was. I like, that's what I used to call myself, like a, a fashion blogger first and foremost. And I still find it hard getting my head around like the influencer term now. But um, it, it was a cool and eye-opening experience and it also made me realize how subjective fashion can be. People can be pretty fickle in that space and they'll definitely tell you if they don't like what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good thing that it is subjective because it's like they may not like it, but if I like it and I feel comfortable in these clothes, then you know, I can't be stopped for, for dressing the way I want to dress. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Nick seems like, yeah, he's had a lot of influence since the word keeps coming up, but also... I like that you touched on like he was kind of the guy, like the, the pinnacle person in men's fashion during that time. And what I found when I was doing research is you got to interact with him back and forth a little bit in the early stages, which I feel like at that point in time, super uncommon. It's like now there's this person that probably isn't in the same immediate circle. And now you get to communicate with him just because you enjoy the same things. Like that's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I was really lucky in the early days of social media to, to actually use it to be social. Like it, that doesn't happen as much now. People have followings and they build things up based on like an internet personality that's not actually them. Whereas the early days, like one of my closest friends, actual closest friends I met through Tumblr. Wow. The first time I ever went to the States, he was there and I was like, hey man, I'm coming over here. Do you want to like get coffee or something? And now he's like, we speak every single day and he's one of my best mates. That's a cool thing that you probably don't get as much now. So reaching out to me was never something that it was like oh weird because it was just a new space and so it was interactive and hey i can connect with this person somehow here um it allowed me to build relationships and friendships which probably opened up doors that wouldn't have other otherwise been opened which is really cool that is cool and i like the interactive part of that because not to say it's missing, but it's definitely not as emphasized today of collaborating to collaborate or like building a relationship because there's like mutual interest in a shared hobby. And I think that's cool. I think that's kind of like the name of the game. In the podcast space, like what, what you're doing here is is the next iteration of that is these longer form conversations, often with strangers, but it allows you to build a connection with someone that you wouldn't necessarily have had before. I think that's a really cool thing. And that's where things have gone now. The sliding in the DMs and the cold messaging and so side of things doesn't always work, which is hard because people do get a lot of messages every day. I try to open up everything I get, but it gets overwhelming at times. So I can understand how that gets missed. But when you're sort of first starting out in the space, I think it's super important to make those connections and respond to people and build an audience that you actually interact with because you never know the opportunities that can come from that. And to your point about podcasting kind of being in that space, earlier in my career, I tried to do like collaborations on short form content with people in, in a similar fashion. But I found like the relationship was harder to grow because in a podcast, you have a full, you know, however long hour, 45 minutes to just converse yeah, fully. and get to know people. It takes pressure off of like, we have to make this video so it performs. And also it allows people to like walls are dropped and people get to have fun and be normal. So I think, I think that's a good point. You get the best out of people too, because you're not trying to get those quick grabs you're not getting like the, the little highlight reel it means you've got this full spectrum of like communication and you can pick and choose the best bits to highlight it but 
it means that not, there's not as much pressure to just be on 100% the whole way through, which I think is kind of cool. Like you're saying before, you're like, are you yeah. ready to roll? I'm like, oh, I'm always ready to roll because I feel like that's the best <laughs> yeah. way to like, you're going to get the most organic conversation that way. Amen. I want to ask you about this because we're, we're talking about the early stages. You had a picture of your face go viral before like viral was really a, a big thing. So much so that there were people in Thailand putting your face on T-shirts and selling them. Mm. What did you What did you make of this at the time that was happening? It was surreal. Yeah, looking back on it, it's actually weirder than it. I probably took it to be. I was like, oh yeah, that's happening. Like I don't know, it's all new. Everything's crazy and weird. But looking back on it, being like, oh, like there was multiple companies profiting off my face. A photo I took with an iPhone, like in just like a bedroom somewhere. Like it was not a high quality photo. It wasn't a great image. It was just like a basic selfie that I'd taken to showcase my mustache at the time. And all of a sudden people putting it on t-shirts and wearing it around. I had several people like run up to me, like in the street being like, look at this photo of you. I saw you're the guy. You're the guy on the shirt. (laughs) That is, it's so crazy. When I I saw that, I was, when I was just impressed in the fact that people were making t-shirts but the other part i was impressed by is just it, how borderline random it is like you're saying yes. it's like this this photo just somehow took off in 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 the internet blog space and people started putting on shirts it's bonkers it also wasn't just one photo there was one photo particular that like really took off and that was the big one but then after a while there was just my face became a thing because i had like this kind of iconic mustache it's a great mustache yeah. thank you uh and i guess i have like kind of nose like i've got a nose ring and i've got fairly heavy set eyebrows and i had an interesting hairstyle companies then started just like getting rid of the rest of my features and just putting like there was one shirt by bershka it's like a subsidiary of zara and they did exactly that they had my mustache my nose ring my eyebrows and my hair that was it and there was like they put that on a t-shirt so it wasn't i couldn't do anything to sue them because they changed the image enough but they just like taken just the the more iconic pieces of me and just put that on a t-shirt and it was clearly me like you'd look at me like yeah that's just 100%. this photo without the images such a strange, strange thing. Very strange. <laughs> well, we'll move past those shirts and, and move on to another set of t-shirts. One of the first business ventures that hit the public's eyes that I found was the cannibals. And I think oh, yeah. it may have been referred to as iron cannibals before that. What's the backstory behind the cannibals? You have done your research. That's something I don't I don't remember talking about. Uh, cannibals was me and my friends that had like a little skate crew. We used to go like bomb hills at night, just skating around, being little hood rats. Nice. And the Iron Cannibals was actually like a, a, a t-shirt that I had. It was like a like a motorcycle style t-shirt thing. And it had like Iron Cannibal choppers or something on there. And so I must have been wearing it, one of it. And we're like, yeah, we're, like, we're the Iron Cannibals skating. And then a friend of mine who was doing some artwork, I was like, oh, can you like do a picture for me? And I'll maybe put on a t-shirt or something. And then we just turned it into something. But I got rid of the iron just for copyright reasons. And Makes sense. Had some fun with it. We did like a few artist collaborations. So like three artists did T-shirts for us that were like limited edition that had their artwork on it and stuff. I did a board short collaboration with another brand, and then after a while, my business partner in it, who was like the artist, he just got really busy with his graphic design work, and we sort of just like left it for a while. The fun little venture. And it's cool that I, I feel like. Those types of projects is like, we like this, we're going to make it happen. We're going to do it. And it wasn't all about business either. It was about fun. It was like, oh, cool. Then we've got t-shirts to wear when we skate. <laughs> yeah. And that says a lot about the brand too, because you know you could see how much fun it was creating it and also being able to enjoy what you made wearing it while you're skating. Yeah, it was really fun. 
and it was a cool time like where i live on the coast it was like a real like renaissance of local art and creative so there's like a cafe down the road here that did like a little art space once a month they'd like dedicate it and people would put on like art shows in the cafe and that was a cool thing to be part of and so we sold t-shirts there and that was really fun that is cool. That's a good memory. Yeah. Are you still in touch with your your old business partner? Yeah, he's now a full time tattooist just down the road. So he he's still <laughs> doing the art thing. He's just doing it on people's bodies now. Nice. Have you been tattooed yet? No, I'm clean skin. I'll stay clean. Oh, really? Yeah, I I can't commit to anything. I can't commit to anything for that long. I really like tattoos. I love the art of it, but for me, I'm too fickle with like what I like. My taste changes too much. I think if I had have got something tattooed on me, I'd probably regret it by now. Interests change real fast, and there's so much in life that feels permanent that's not 100 percent. yeah absolutely agreed let's talk about the point where you, you jump shipped from your full-time job into social media and i want to know how difficult of a decision that was but i believe i'm going to take a shot in the dark here i think you jumped ship from your job at general pants is that a place in australia that's that's a it's a retail yeah type general store. pants co yeah, it's known as just General now or GP. But yeah, I was working there as a visual merchandiser for quite a while. I was in the head office as like the state visual merchandiser. So I did like a lot of training and development stuff. And my boss at the time, who was a creative director, was an amazing human, a good friend. Um, he was a fair bit older than me, but he was like a really, really easy to get on with kind of person and super supportive. And as my job like I, w- I was good at my job. I'm proud of that. I was good at it. But as the blog side of things started taking off, I was due for a promotion and we were a pay rise at least. And we sat down and I said, rather than paying me more, can I work less? So can I work four days a week? Oh, wow. I'll, I'll get the work done, but just like I'll do it over four days and then I can have one day off to focus on this thing that's also growing. And he was amazing and he approved that. And that was like the first real indication of me being like oh, okay cool i can do something with this and grow it out a bit so yeah i owe a lot to him for that what a great negotiation chip i can't it's not, i don't looking back and i don't really think about it being like me negotiating i was just like oh i had an idea for him what do you think about this and just yeah to his credit he was just like yeah we could look at that if you think you can get the work done and i was i was efficient at my job so it, it worked out really well dang that's incredible. And this is the transition into doing more of the blog, right? This isn't transition yeah. into more of the Instagram side of things. When does that happen? When's the full It's kind of jump? all together. Yeah, Instagram and the blog were kind of growing at the same rate. My There was a while where the blog was bigger than Instagram because Instagram really wasn't a thing to start with. But then as Instagram started to grow, a lot more focus went into Instagram and I started getting more brand opportunity stuff through that. And had to learn how to negotiate that because that was an area that was just non-existent previously. Uh, I had a friend that was a, a fashion blogger, a girl, but there was no guys in the space. And so she introduced me to her management and I did some stuff with them for about six months. And it was a good lesson for me to learn of like, okay, cool. Like there is money to be made here. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to negotiate. I don't know what my value is. But um, I got to kind of like experiment and have fun with it, which was really cool. And to have like a space to to do it. And I feel like that's a great time to be able to take those risks that aren't so, I don't know what the right word is, but maybe pressure, maybe not more pressure, but more idealized way of things, how they should be done. Like it was, it was more, maybe more experimental. Yeah. It was definitely more experimental. I feel like now due to things like TikTok, like people can get massive followings really easy and they can make a bit of money off it. 
I don't have management currently. So the the TikTok world for me is so foreign. I do everything there for fun. There's no work in that at all. But from my like brand partnership side of things, there seems to be opportunities there. So I feel like it's easier to do that and make that more of a job. But I don't know whether it's less experimental because you kind of have to have your niche. That's what you do and that's your thing. Whereas I never subscribe to that notion. I've always been like, and I'm just going to do the things that I like doing. And if people come along for the ride, that's great. And I've been able to thankfully really successfully build businesses into the things that i like doing which is very lucky i mean it's incredible to be able to have your passions at the at the center of all this i'm curious about the the stages of growth and what factors played into them because i know from 50k to 250k it seemed like it was super quick but what about the other stages was it hardest to get to 50k was 500k to a million how would you block out each of those stages and the factors that went into them? The first 50K was surreal and it wasn't something I was focused on because it wasn't a thing. People didn't have followings. There was a few people there that had like 100,000 followers, a lot of people to have. And so those early stages, having a following was just kind of like, oh, this is cool. Like there's just more and more people starting to follow me. Once I got from kind of 50, 60,000, I was more aware then of like, okay, what am I doing that's actually growing it? But there was also no real intention with it. I wasn't posting with like, okay, cool. Like I would post stuff I would never post now because I'd be like, that's just filler content. Mm. But back then you could do that. You could post stuff. You could post a quote on your Instagram that was just a black square with a quote and people would love it. Now I do that. It's getting no one interacting and no one's going to see it because it's not feeding into the algorithm. But from 50 to 250K, it just skyrocketed it really grew up and i was growing thousands overnight like literally every day i was going a couple thousand and it was a really weird time and then the first big algorithm change became a thing and i was at about three hundred and fifty thousand at that stage maybe less and it changed and my like i just stagnated i just froze for two years where I would just stay the exact same like at least didn't grow or didn't shrink for like two year period it just stayed the exact oh my same. gosh Um, which is a, what was a weird thing. It was me. It was a time because TikTok wasn't existing yet. It wasn't like there was other platforms you can kind of grow on instead. It was just this weird thing. We'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to change this. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and then COVID pre COVID I grew again. I don't know what happened, but something changed. I started growing again slowly and then COVID happened and I boomed because I was doing fitness content at home and people were looking for a way of doing that. And I already was doing fitness, but people were looking for entertainment and education and information and inspiration. So I was kind of there doing those things anyway. And my following doubled in 2020. Why do you think it grew so fast from 50 to 250 K? What was that window? The explosion window? I think it was social media was becoming, I think people were starting to get on the platforms more and we're using it and we're just like, thirsty for more content and for more people to see and i was doing the right thing at the right time and i was very very lucky that i had a few friends in the space that were doing the same sort of thing so we were collaborating all the time Uh, and i was traveling a lot travel really helped being in like new york for fashion week and then i was in milan and then i was in florence for like different things people seeing you travel around and being at different times and with different people really helped and there was more people online more people were actively using social media and starting to take content creation more seriously yeah it was i remember the first trip i did like a, a content trip for a, a company called Kentucky. i don't know if you guys have that in the states or you're familiar with it it's like a from 18 to 35 year old travel company so they they put in these tours and you'd be like we're gonna do a full tour of new zealand or we're gonna go to australia or there's a u.s road trip that you're across and they 
essentially provide the travel and the flights and everything in that, and then you have like activities booked within it. They reached out to me to do a trip for Southeast Asia for a new upcoming tour they were booking. So my job That's was awesome. to go along. Yeah, it was so much fun. I yeah. took my best friend who was my photographer at the time. And we just took photos of me doing all the fun stuff. But I remember being on those trips and being like, we've got to like, we're gonna get more content. And people being like, what's content? What is content? Like not understanding that term and being like, oh, okay, cool. Like what I do is still not something that people are aware of. But I feel like now everyone knows more content. Content is king. That word's thrown out way more. And I feel like at that time on that trip, I wonder if the looks were a little different in regards to like, if you filmed yourself somewhere, then I bet it's like, what do you, you know, why, why are you making this thing? But when you film yourself now, I still think there's that, that look, people are like, what are you doing? But it's not as uncommon. hundred percent. I still have trouble filming myself in public. I'm very lucky because I've got a, a, a business now. I have a full-time videographer who has a setup. So when we're filming, it doesn't look like I'm just holding a phone filming myself, like doing a TikTok dance. It looks like a, an actual setup. And I still feel like insecure and uncomfortable doing that in public sometimes. But for some people, you just see them doing TikTok dances on the street and they just don't care because like, other people are doing it. That's like an easy thing for them to get away with. The world is changing. Yeah, what's your hesitancy in, in being that? that guy that's filming in public i think i'm too old <laughs> i what? actually think i'm like no I think way. I'm outside i just don't relate to it like i don't i don't consume uh, that content i don't relate to it so i don't do anything that i wouldn't want to watch mm, wow that's that's great that's a big thing for me so one of my things when people ask me about like what would you reckon i want to grow i want to like i want to make my page like how do i get more followers and be like make your page something that you want to follow if you wouldn't follow your page why would anyone else so that's with how I kind of approach the, I keep re- referencing TikTok, but that just like short form content where it's very clickbaity. That's just not what I enjoy. I don't watch much of that. So I don't create it myself. And if that stops me reaching those audiences, well, that's probably not my audience anyway. Man, that's great advice. Do, would you even consume your own content? That's a hard look in the mirror, Nathan. I like it, that. It fully is, yeah. <laughs> and so many people will be like, because it, it started having a conversation with my friend and someone asked me this question. I was like, how do I tell them their page sucks? Like, actually, look, this person there is just like, oh, I want to grow my fitness thing. How do I do it? And you look at their page and every photo is a crappy iPhone photo in a mirror of their progress. And being like, well, you're not, you're not educating, you're not inspiring, you're not entertaining. You're just showing yourself in the same situation every time. Why do people want to follow that? Unless they know you personally, how do you get new audiences to come in? Whereas if you kind of show yourself here's where I was and here's where I am now. Here's the workout I did to do this. Here's what I struggle with. People can relate to that a bit more. It seems to be working. I've seen people have great growth from taking that advice. So Focusing more on connecting with people rather than promoting themselves in a way, I almost feel like, or even like the breakdown that you gave, inspiring, educating, entertaining, yeah. some sort of value first rather than look at me and follow me because I want you to look at me and follow me. Yeah, 100%. And it, it becomes more than just like, the ego of either I'm good looking or I'm muscular or I've got a good fashion sense, whatever it is, and becomes like, I'm going to help you in this way as well. Hi, friends. This is Nicholas Itali, and every Friday, I bring you a tasty episode to help you live a more fulfilling life and level up your business. If you're tuning in right now, consider this your sign to subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening on and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. If you leave a review, screenshot it and share it to your Instagram, tagging me at Nicholas Natali. I will reshare it 
and slide in your DMs with a big thank you. And that's not an innuendo. That is a sincere expression of gratitude. Send this episode to two of your friends that you think would enjoy this episode and make their day. All right, back to it. I love that. When I look at a decade-long journey in social media, I have to imagine there's been a time of doubt or questioning. And my question for you is, was there that time of doubt or question for you? And why did you not stop? What kept you going? Yeah. Uh, my most recent was like the end of 2021. I had like a probably a three-month period where I was just like, I'm not enjoying this. I'm creating, but why? Like I'm just in the same rut. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I wasn't getting the same response from audiences. I was really bummed out by the fact that the algorithm was dictating what I was posting and how I was posting. And that still gets frustrating to be honest, but I looked at what I was creating and took it back and been like, what do I want to do? What do I'm passionate about? What do I like sharing? And started doing that more rather than doing what was going to be most successful. And I've enjoyed it more since then. Again, I have a passion to train. I have a passion for fashion. I have a passion for music. So like, I was just like, cool, focus on the things that I like sharing and share those things. And the right people will come along for the journey. Sounded like almost like a recommitment to yourself too. My interests are still involved in this process too. Even if I am providing value first, or if the algorithm is sucking up all of my content, there's still a part of me being out there and almost finding that part maybe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because it's you've got more integrity in the actual content you're creating there. And there's more like genuine people. People can tell when you're genuine about something, you can see when someone's passionate about what they're sharing versus when they're just going through the motions. I find that with the people I follow, the people I follow are all people. I'm like, Oh cool. They clearly like what they're doing and that shows and that energy is transferable. So I should do the same. I mean, I can see it in your party people greeting people. know. people know when that <laughs> yeah. party people is there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a yeah, people get that energy. I like it. Having said that you've been doing this consistently for over a decade, you've been self-taught with the majority of like almost all of these processes. You're self-taught with editing, photography, filming, gymnastics, the the flips and all of those things. I'm curious as to what your process looks like now to create the consistent content because I know you talked about you have a full-time videographer now. What's it look like? We, we plan it on Sundays, executing during the week, or how's it look? What's the breakdown? No, I'm not great at planning. I'm okay at like, I'm, I'm really good at like thinking of stuff and conceptualizing. The actual structure of it is something that I'm really lacking. And I'm very lucky that my photographer is also one of my best friends and he's like kind of the same. He's pretty reactive. So we'll go, oh, cool. Let's focus on this this week and we'll do this and then we'll bank it up. But for the most part, no, I don't have too much structure and that's something I could definitely work on and I'll probably have to work on going forwards just because I do have quite a fair bit going on in different projects. But for the most part, I'm just kind of like I wing it. I just do what I want to do when I want to do it because I find I'm most passionate about it like in the moment, whereas I'm too – and this is when I sit down at a computer and do that. If I don't feel like doing it, I'm not going to do it. So I'm better off just being like, cool, we'll do the thing I want to do now and then come and do that when you feel like it because I'll be more productive that way. That's just what works for me. And more inspired. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, if I'm like, if I film a thing and I think it's really cool, great, I'll go edit that straight away because I want to get that done and it's fit fun. Whereas there's other times, like two or three weeks ago, I just didn't film for a week because I was like, I don't feel like it today. I just want to train and do the things I want to do. And that's okay. Like, I think that works better because when I do film, I'm more excited about it that way. Yeah, exactly. Are you still in the editing process? Do you like to have, how much, is it more of like a creativity 
part of it? Or is it like, oh, I also want the control of the final look? How in the weeds are you? Oh, I edit most of my Instagrams myself. I edit most, almost everything myself. I've got so the long form content, um, the breakdown, my music YouTube channel. That's a lot of work. So McGee, my videographer, works almost full-time on that. Wow. Last year, we for 11 months a year, we released two videos a day, seven days a week. Oh, my gosh. So it was wow. a lot of filming and a lot of editing. So we filmed, put on a drive. I'd give him the drive, and then he'd go through and edit the 14 videos for the week. And then I'd go and do the other social content that I was doing. Um, yeah, it was a lot. So I, I do most of the actual social stuff. Some of the, like... I have ideas where I'm like, oh, I want to do a workout in one spot and the camera's there, but there's 12 versions of me in the gym working out and like layer them in. That's a pretty long process. So I'll give that to him and be like, you can work on this for the next six hours. I'm yeah. going to go and <laughs> keep doing the other stuff that I need to do. No, I'm still very much involved. It sounds like you delegate when you need to delegate and you take on what you want to take on, which sounds like the best of both worlds. As I said, I've got someone I trust completely, which helps. Like I, I can trust him to do the job. Like he knows me and what my vision for things is. So I can trust him to do that. And he's also got a great work ethic. So I don't have to follow up on him. Like if I go, hey, here's these things, he'll just get them done as soon as he can, which is really cool. Having that trust is important. That would be terrible if you're like, hey, man, get these done. And then they were not done. That sounds yeah, like I've had that in the that past with oh, videographers particularly that are, are crazy talented. Like my last videographer was the nicest dude. He was so talented. He did the best videos, but just working freelance wasn't his skill set. He didn't time manage well, and that was a really frustrating thing for me. And so in the end, we both sat down. He was like, I actually think I need to go get a job. Like I not work for you. I get a full-time job because I can't do this. Like I clearly can't Interesting. manage my time. I need to be in the office. And he's killing it now. He's doing a great job. And that's awesome. That's good for him, but it just did not work for me. <laughs> yeah. That takes some self-awareness to say that. I, I can res- I can respect being able to see it. It'd be one thing if he was just not meeting deadlines and be like, I don't know what you're talking about, Nathan. Yeah, fully. No, he was, he was a good dude. He was a really good dude. That's good. Tell me this, Nathan. When did you first start replying to DMs in the shower? That's what I want to know. When did this become a habit? I've worked in the shower for like seven years. I used to have a really big shower <laughs> and like it was just a time for me to be like, I'd like... I used to edit everything on my phone. Every photo, everything used to be done on my phone that just because I wasn't great at a computer. So, like, all the old Instagram photos, I'd, like, upload them to a computer, send them to my phone, and then do all the color grades and everything on there. So, I used to just do it in the shower because it was, like, a good time to multitask. And then it became, like, a that's just where I get things done now. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because there's no distractions. That's all you're doing. It's just, like, cool. I just, like, I'll make this thumbnail. I'll do this stuff that's just here and now and multitasking the hot water is good yeah they do say you have people have better ideas in the shower because of something to do with how the water hits your your skin and i also imagine there's a little bit of like time constraints too because you're not going to take an hour long shower but if you're like i need to edit five sometimes i get real distracted (laughs) and then it becomes way too long (laughs) being way too caught up in what i'm doing quite get out caught it's like why did that take so long I made this. I'm working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fully, fully. There's a, there's a whole blog called like Shower Thoughts. I don't know if you've seen that before. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so good. Some of them are crazy. Like, so you're like, that is a weird thought to have. And now I'm thinking about that. I like that. It's a cool concept. Yeah, those are cool. Those are fun to read through because they're always so true. Yeah, that's exactly relatable. Let's talk about the the offline portion of social media then. Did you ever feel like a necessity to be on all the time or – or be mm. something that like wasn't a hundred percent you. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you can hear those dogs in the background. There's two yappy dogs next door that are just losing their minds right now. They're excited for us. <laughs> go, go boys, you're doing great. Yeah. 
there was a time particularly when it came to fitness which i i didn't realize at the time but looking back on was like oh cool like i was i was so conscious like i have to have abs 24 7 i have to be lean and ripped because that's what people want and so i was stagnating my own personal growth for that and that was a really hard thing to get out of my mindset of being like in order to grow you have to not look the exact same for a little bit here that was something that took me a little bit to get past but in terms of being on i kind of am like what you see is pretty much what you get i don't have to turn on for a conversation if someone starts talking to me like i'm just on they can film if they want it to be the same thing regardless Um, that's good yeah i probably have like a slightly heightened version like the good morning party people thing i turn that on a little bit like i give it a bit more energy but that's just because it's kind of fun yeah 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 Yeah. 100 yeah so there's definitely like a slightly elevated version of me but at the end of the day it's yeah it's just it's who i am and I, i wouldn't be able to do it if i wasn't otherwise it'd be non authentic disingenuous yeah was there ever a time where your online relationships had a negative impact on your like real life relationships that's a good question the online validation wears off pretty quickly and because i was getting so much validation from the internet being like you're amazing you're so hot you're this whatever it was which is lovely but after a while it just it just doesn't mean anything but then because of i was getting there the probably people around me didn't validate me and almost took it away from me being like they don't want to give you a big head so they wouldn't compliment you or they like kind of neg you a little bit. And I had to like kind of say to my friends being like, it bums me out that you like, you never acknowledge when I do something here. Like, cause I'm working really hard to try and like build something here and it's kind of like, cool, do your thing, but never like, we're really proud of you. You've done great there. And that was a, a thing that I had to like really sit down and like go, Oh cool. That's actually affecting me that I need validation from some people around me. Otherwise it's just all intrinsic and you start questioning yourself after a while being like why does no one around me care what i'm doing and it was just a case of them being like we don't want to give you a big head (laughs) i get that (laughs) at the same time yeah it's the opposite effect of me it's actually bringing me down a bit that's a fascinating insight because i thought similarly too of just having a sheer number or amount of people playing into the effect of i almost wondered if there was ever times where you would be in a, a real life relationship and being like, you know what? I don't need this. Cause I have, I have all of these other online people, but like you're saying the online validation dissipates at some point, And there's still that need for like a, I would say maybe like even a more intimate real life relationship Genuine where people know you. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Cause whilst I am very much myself online, you're only seeing portions of me at a time. You don't see the full thing. And so like court, she sees all of me all the time and she knows what I'm like. And she knows when I have those times where I'm like, I just need to like watch TV for it and chill out and not talk and just be down. And I'm not bummed out. I just want to be like relaxed. Other people don't see that. And they don't see like when you get a question and you've been asked that same question 30 times that day. I try to always answer in the same way. Cause I'm like, that person doesn't know that I've already answered this 30 times, but that can after a while be a little bit tiring so yeah, it's the same thing when it comes to like the validation side of things. When you've heard it just text wise from someone you don't know after a while, it stops meaning anything. And it's like, uh, thanks man. Like I really appreciate that. And I do, I still appreciate it, but it also doesn't have the same effect that having your mom say, I'm really proud of what you've done here. So yeah, that's important. Uh, I, something that I've curated as not a strategy, but maybe a philosophy for myself is always trying to keep at the top of my mind whose opinions really means something to me just being aware of those those so when somebody says something that isn't in the, the like top 
seven opinions I value most. And if it is negative, I can have a more validation system of like, is that thing they said true? And if it is, I can take it. And if it, or if it's not, do I need to be concerned about that opinion? And then for everybody else that tells me something that I may disagree with, but they're in that important opinion circle, I'm like, okay, they said that to me for a reason. And it's because they are trying to breathe life to me. And that's something I can actually take on. I read a great quote that I'm now going to butcher, but it was something along the lines of, if you wouldn't go to someone for advice, why would you go to them for criticism? Mm. It, like if you wouldn't go to someone and be like, hey, what do you think of this? And they just tell you, well, who, who cares? Because you wouldn't go to them to ask about it. They're just telling you their opinion. And that was something that when I read, I was like, oh, that's a cool little thing there that, yeah, great. I'm going to go to those people. And if they tell me something, I go, cool, I should take that in. But if it's just someone telling me their opinion and I wouldn't have gone to them, well, then what does it matter? I sometimes think advice can be projections of insecurity or somebody's own limiting beliefs that they say to you in the form of advice. Let me see if I can think of an example. Like when I first started doing the podcast and I and I landed a guest that was outside my immediate circle, somebody was like, why don't you interview normal people? After I'd already like interviewed a bunch of my friends. And I think that was like them projecting. I don't think I can reach out to people that I don't know to have conversations with. That's why I don't think you should. And I think that was yeah. kind of like the advice somewhere in there. But I think that happens a lot. And the negative thing would be to like not analyze that advice and see if it's for me or it's a projection from them onto you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is like a, a, a pretty good example right there too because that's exactly it. It's, it's maybe projecting their own insecurities. And well, this is what I would do, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily right for you. I guess it's learning to take the look at that holistically and go, I get what you're saying here and here's what I take from that that is relevant to me rather than just like dismissing it altogether because I think I've been had that in the past too being like no no no, I'm doing this way this is like I can be pretty like headstrong in what I want to do and then sometimes being like okay well this person does care about me and they do care about this maybe I need to listen to that because maybe they've got an insight for something that I'm just like dismissing too quickly we all have our blind spots and most of the time we're not going to know where they are until somebody points them out. So I agree with that. The full dismissal is a dangerous game. Yeah. In previous interviews, you've mentioned how as we grow up throughout life, friend groups change and they shift. And you could even go through a couple. Your business partner and best friend Lane, you've known him since preschool. Yeah. How has your longstanding friendship with Lane played into how you do business together? It's I was talking about this this morning with a friend of mine because we have oh, such really? an interesting relationship. Yeah, because because we are such close friends, but we're also very different people. And the way we communicate is very different at times. Um, we've had to learn what to take seriously from one another and what to how to communicate with each other and there's at times like via text he can be taken the wrong way so easily and he doesn't mean it it's just the way he texts and there's no context to it and so i've learned being like we need to have a conversation we just need to talk about it i can't text him because that will it will not alleviate any issues but that took a long time to get towards that being like okay cool cool it's not actually a problem here it's just like that's the way we communicate. I'm a very confrontational person. If I have a problem, I'll tell you I have a problem and I'll like <laughs> fix it. That's just like the way I am. I'm like, here's the thing. Here's what we do. We need to fix it. He's not that person. He'll like wait a while and build on it and ruminate on what he wants to do. And then eventually maybe like, then you'll talk about it, but he's been sitting on it for ages and building on it. So I think learning about communication styles, that's been a really good one for us. And also learning to put the friendship first. 
that was a big thing for us at times where we're like, okay, like running a business can be frustrating and there can be hard times, but first and foremost, we're friends. So we have to like make sure that doesn't suffer from it. I can definitely see how that plays into a factor. And I think it's important to prioritize the friendship first because it's not going to end up in such a catastrophic disagreement to where you lose both. If you lose the business, you'd want to have your homie. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather lose the business than lose the friend and the business because if you lose the friend, you're going to lose the business at the same time. So it's something there that we've talked about before as well, being like if there's ever a point where it's not – funds are not the right word, but it's not like worth it, have that conversation, say my heart's not in it now, I'd rather step away so we can focus on being friends first and foremost. I think having quite a a few other areas for me to explore has helped as well in the – not entirely invest in that one thing. So whereas we might butt heads a little bit on some things because it's not my sole focus, I can kind of give in and let him have his sort of thing sometimes and vice versa. It's probably, it says more of him that he lets me take control of some things because that's his full-time job. That's what he does. So for him to give up any control of that, it's probably more a reflection on him being a big person than it is on me. But that's again, just one of the things we had to learn over time. That is nice. I'm picturing him texting you like, we need to talk, period. And it's not a bad thing. You know, it's just. <laughs> it's not even that. It's just be like, yeah, I don't have examples of it. But yeah, it was just like, I'd be like, that's so passive aggressive. It's like, I was genuinely proud of you. I was like saying, like, you did a great thing. And I'd be like, well, you shared it like this. And that's how I took it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. In, in line with making the relationship the priority, a fascinating story was hearing that. You ran paid advertising for a while and then you stopped the campaigns because people were seeing the same ads over and over again. And you said you wanted your brand to be about relationships and results. How do you go about keeping the relationships? And I'm talking outside of lane now, I'm talking maybe to customer relationships with customers at the center of your business. And why is that so important to you? The fitness industry is a very shallow, fake space and there's a lot of quick results out there. And I've just seen too many people get burned by that about the quick fixes and the the misinformation. And one of the things we do with Milestone is try to make sure we're like educating. I'd rather have people work with us for a year and then be like, I know everything now. I don't need to work with you anymore. That's a huge win for us because we've now genuinely helped someone to be better in their life. The, the hardest part is probably getting that trust from people that are new because they're so used to being sold to by people who just like quick fix, do what I say, don't ask questions. Whereas we want to have people ask questions. We want them to grow and, and trust that we want the best thing for them. It's about taking the time and being there for those people. I am really bad at using Facebook, which is probably what definitely something I need to work on is like, we have a Facebook community that's amazing and it's so good that, I don't need to be present in that anymore because the people in there help each other out. And Lane's still very, very good on that. He'll get on and help out with questions. But I'll like forget to open Facebook for a week. And again, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many messages here I need to get back to or do something with. But the what we've built is something that people now will help each other out. We've got clients that have been with us for five, six years that now go, oh, cool, you got a question on this. This is what I did or this is what Lane or this is what Nate would do. And it's so cool and like really like – nice to get on there and be like that is what i would do that's you guys know us that's really cool so it's almost like uh compounding growth with the relationships too like you make an impact in somebody's life and now that person is making an impact in other people's lives so it's like yeah the relationships and the results are almost as hand in hand yeah it's an accidental pyramid scheme that's the best <laughs> way possible <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's going to be the headline, Nathan's new latest yeah. famous game. Yeah, fully. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing there. And when we've got people who come on board, it's always an interesting thing as well because Lane's also the point of contact for most people when they come on board. Like he's the person oh, they're supposed cool. to speak to. They're other programs. And it's it's always interesting hearing people come in like, hey, Nath, just join up for this, this. And he'll be like, hey, not Nath, Lane. We both run <laughs> together, but this is the thing there. Um, and there's, there's a little bit of guilt sometimes too for me being like, oh, I'm just, I don't have time to be that person that's on one-on-one with everyone all the time. But it's cool that we built this thing now that isn't reliant on just one person. So That is good. Yeah, there's only one of you and there's only so many hours in the day for you to, to be one-on-one. I totally get that. Yeah, and I run out of those as is. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the physical gym that you guys are getting off the ground. I thought it was really cool how you leaned on your partners in the business relationships you've made to bring it to life. JBL speakers, I believe there's an advertising piece on the wall that like contributes to the to the rent each month. Yeah. Talk me through how this vision, you went from having this vision for this physical gym to working out deals with your partners to bring it to life. Lane and I had always talked about potentially having a gym at some point. Just we used to film out of this gym that he worked at and they were really good. They were great with us filming. They also got a ton of business from people seeing us work out there. People go, oh, it's a great right. gym. We'll go train there. But during COVID when everything shut down, we decided we'd build a little garage set up because we wanted somewhere to train and film and do content out of. And a company called Jim and Fitness had actually reached out to me about doing something for them. And so I messaged him. I was like, hey, just seeing if you guys are still interested, we want to get this. One of you points in the right direction. They're like, oh, we're happy to give you a discount to help you set that up. Um, and I was like, cool, well, I'm happy to do like a little like YouTube story of building the gym and what that looks like. And they were super, super happy with the content and what it, what it led to and they got a lot of sales from it as well. So after a few months when things started to open back up in Australia, we – decided we'd look at actual spaces and see what the rent was going to be and if it was feasible to afford that. And I spoke to them and said, look, here's where we're at. We, we're really enjoying this. We want to grow it more. Do you have recommendations of stuff? What would you p- recommend putting in? And they, we, they sat down with them and they said, look, if you if you want to do it, we're, we're happy to provide your gym with the stuff and you keep it all with us and help con- create content. So for all the pieces, we can then use the content. When if you film on one of our pieces, we can use that for our socials and whatever they need to do. And it was just like a win-win for both parties. And so they've been amazing. We've been working with them now for three years and we're currently in talks about what the next stage of that actually looks like. But it just was such a, a no-brainer. It was a win-win for both of us. I was, as you said, I've got a a wall in the gym that was a free wall that was like, we could put some cool branding on that. I have been sponsored by ghost now for a couple of years. And so I was like, if you guys want that wall, like you can have that and we can then use that to then pay the rent. So that worked, worked really, really well. And they've contributed and it. It's a cool thing. Cause it means that whenever we've got people come visit and stuff, they're getting this clear advertising in the background of all these shots. And it's a good way to shoot in front of. And again, it's meant both parties kind of benefit from it, which is cool. When I was reading about that, I was like, this is, it's, it's ideal. You have the vision for this gym. You always wanted a gym and now you have like the relationships to put it together. Cause I think most of the time when I think of creating a gym from the ground up, it's like, okay, you need a huge down payment to get all these equipment and all this stuff. And you know, it's, it's all, all money straight out of pocket. But when you lean on people you're already working with, yeah. it seems like you're able to build it so much faster. Yeah, we were. I was very, very lucky to have good brand partners that I've been working with for a while that trusted me to be not just looking for a quick fix, a, a handout from them to also create something a bit longer term. So JBL was amazing. They were like super helpful in helping set up the space and building a studio in there and stuff so we can then create content for them in turn. 
it, it worked really well. That is cool. I mean, you needed good speakers to blast the heavy metal. I mean, you can't, you can't, really can't skip yeah. that on those. <laughs> yeah, I don't wear headphones when I train anymore. It's just pumping through my gym. It's the best. That is amazing. Let's transition, switch gears into self-help. You're not a fan of self-help. David Goggins, get him out of here. Jocko, not today. Not for me. I know growing up, though, your dad used to say attitude is everything. I hated that growing up. Did it get instilled in you? I hated that saying. Mm, yeah, but it was almost like a, like I got it, but it was also like a begrudging thing. I definitely didn't take like, yeah, you're right, be positive. Um, <laughs> I had to be older to understand how relevant that was and, and that I'd actually had become that version, but without necessarily that saying being at the forefront of my mind. The self-help thing, I understand why people do it and I understand where they get the motivation from it. Some people really need that like extrinsic force to get them kicked into gear. I think I just have such high energy levels and I just am constantly going and thinking of the next thing. Like creativity has never been something I'm running out of. I've got so much going on that I want to do that I, I can't be lazy. I can't be sitting back and just waiting for things to happen because I've got too many things that I actually just want to make happen. So I'm just going to go do them myself. It's not that the self-help books wouldn't help. Like there's a, you know, Atomic Habits, that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 James Clear. The little, yep. The little two minute rule from that. That's something that I love. I think that's a great thing. I haven't read the book. I was listening to a podcast and they mentioned that thing and I was like, Oh, I like that. I'm going to do that just for like, because that's a great way for me to be like, yeah, two minutes. I can spare two minutes to do that thing because I am a busy person. And so that, that to me was like, I'm not against all advice from that sort of thing. I just, it's not something I'm actively going out and seeking because I don't get enjoyment out of that. And it doesn't inspire me to do something more because I'm kind of already doing a lot of it. Where does your intrinsic drive stem from? Is it just because you have an, an inkling to do so many things and you're like, I just got to do it. But I also feel like there's people that want to have a lot of passions and then they don't follow through. Where's the drive come from? There's a difference between wanting to have a lot of passions and just having a lot of passions. I have a lot of things that I'm just so genuinely interested and passionate about. And I like doing a friend of mine recently who I'm, I'm currently training for an ultra marathon, running a, a 50 K trail in uh, oh the gosh, mate of mine that I'm you. doing it with should be fun. Also challenging, but the mate I'm doing it with, we just started running as like a social thing. Like he was running and got better at running and he invited me along me like, you want to come for a run this day? And I was like, sure, I'll come and run and hang out. I didn't like running. Anyway, one day doing this like 15K run, whatever it was, and he was like, would you be doing this if I didn't ask you? And I was like, oh, definitely not. Like, I'm only doing this because I wanted to hang out with you. I'm, I'm enjoying doing it. I like the challenge of it. But for the forefront for me is, oh, cool, this is good hangout time with my mate. And now it's become we're doing a very lot of running and training for that sort of thing. But I'm just kind of up for things and I take, I say yes to opportunities. That's where I think my biggest advice to people is like, say yes to things and just like give it everything you've got. You're never ever going to go in something that you've worked out really hard at and be like, Oh, that sucked. There's <laughs> yeah. some sort of reward from it and whether you like succeed or you learn. And I think that's something that people are too afraid of. Like, oh, I don't want to do that and work really hard at it because what have failed? Well, then you learn something from it, you grow from it. But I've never been afraid of that. It's always been just like, yeah, cool. Something cool could happen from this. So let's give it a go. A quote that's helped me with that, because I've fallen into that mindset of like, I don't want to do that. That's going to be a lot of work and I'm not going to, I'm going to fall short is no work is done in vain. 
that has helped me so much because if it does work out, if it doesn't, like you're saying, I'm going to get some value from this, whether it's how do I do it better the next time? Or even if it is just the knowledge of like, maybe don't say yes to that one, you know, say yes to this other opportunity. Yeah. I got a friend that's going through like a relationship drama on you and he's talking about that, about, Oh, I don't know if I want to put in six months of work if it's not going to work out. I'm like, well, it's, it's six months of work, but you might grow as a person from that. Whether the relationship works out, you might still get something from that that you can then take into your next relationship. It's all about the attitude in which you go at it. Glass half full really makes a huge difference. Yeah, it does. Nathan, we are rapidly approaching the final question of the podcast. You made it. But before we do, I want to acknowledge you for all that you're doing. I think what we talked about at the beginning about your intentionality is very true. And something I appreciate about you is that you are intentional with people and keeping people a part of this digital environment that we're all kind of living in. But you're making it personal and you're connecting with people. And I love how uh, you touch on like relationships and results that are important to you because it makes an impact on people's lives. So I appreciate the hard work that you put into everything and also how intentional you are with all of those things. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You're welcome. The final question of the podcast is, what does it mean to live a fulfilling life? I feel like I'm living a fulfilling life now. Core and I were talking about this, about people who they're always looking for that next thing they want to be doing. Oh, I think I'd want to move here because this would solve this problem. Or if I wasn't doing this job, I'd, I'd be this and I'd be happy for that. I think learning how to be where you are, being present in the moment and appreciating it is such an important thing. It doesn't mean you don't want to grow or you don't want to change at some point, but learning how to truly be where you are and make the best of where you're at is going to allow you to have more opportunities in the future. Where I see too many people who are just being like, man, if I just like, if I just hustle for a little bit and then I get these followers and this will change, or if I just move to this place, this will change. If I just do this job and this will change rather than being like, well, I'm doing this right now. So let's just do this and be really good at it. And then it might grow to this and this might open up this opportunity down the track. So for me, the fulfilling life is about just where you're at, be there. Mm, being present. I love that. Yeah. You know, I always think be present sounds so like mindful and a bit hippie and, but it's, it's hard, true. <laughs> it's yeah, hard. That's the thing. It is. It can be really hard to just like fully be where you are. The distractions make it difficult, and like you're saying, the aspirations that you're calming your head, slowing down yeah. all those thoughts, all of those things play into it. But I think the moments that I find myself fully present are the ones where I am probably the most fulfilled because I can have the awareness that I'm actually alive, rather than thinking of tomorrow. How do you go with? comparison to others in a similar situation is that something that you struggle with at all i don't i'm the type of person that celebrates my friend's successes i'm I'm, i've never been the person that's like oh man if they got that that means i can't have it i'm like stoked when people accomplish other goals i'm happy for them i don't think it falls prey to what i can do yeah okay because that's the that's a great thing for you to have i think a lot of people particularly in the age of social media where everyone's showing a highlight reel of what they're doing. There's this constant comparison and constant like, Oh man, I want to be, I want to be doing that. Or why is this person doing that? Or I should be doing that. Or this is where I could be. Comparison is a thief of joy. That's another quote that I did not make up, mm. but I really like. Yeah. And it's so true. People are like busy, so busy focusing on what other people are doing. They're not focused on what they're doing, where they're at and enjoying that. They're like, I want to be doing this because that person is doing it. That's a really interesting one that, I see a lot of people struggling with now is looking, they're so busy focusing on other people, they're not noticing themselves. I think if I were to struggle in that area, I think there's two things. I think there's a difference between jealousy and envy. And I think 
This is what I know. I think jealousy is when you see somebody that has, like, let's say they accomplished something and you're like, they did that thing. I wish they didn't have that thing. And I had that thing. So they can't have it. And only I can have it. And I think envy is when they have that thing and you're like, they have that thing, but I also want that thing. So they can have it and I can also have it. I think if when I do get negative and get into like a, a bad, a non-healthy version of myself, it's in the envy space of like, you have it and I can have it, but I want it because you also have it. Something like that. I don't know why, but I see them as being the opposite. I think it's like, you know, like the seven deadly sins. Envy is one of those deadly sins. Ah, Jealousy is mm-hmm. not. So I see it as like envy. Oh. Is, and maybe that's just why I see that as being like the worst one. But I, exactly what you're saying, but I just would flip those two terms around in my head of being like, I'm jealous of them, but like also that means I can succeed. I'm just like a bit jealous of that. Whereas if you like envy, it seems like a more like, I don't know, bitter emotion for some reason. Yeah. Maybe I crisscrossed them, but I agree. I think the sentiment is there. Yeah. Yeah. The sentiment is exactly right. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's on you as well. Like, that's a cool thing. You have the power to like of what you do with that feeling, what you choose to, to make with it is on you. And that's a kind of cool thing. It's empowering. I also think when I do find myself comparing something that gets me out of it is saying they have this thing. Is that even what I wanted? Like, is that something I want or am I just like, oh, I wish I had it because they have it suddenly yeah. now and it's like not even my goal. They're like a, a pro basketball player. And I'm like, oh, man. And I'm like, did I want to go pro in basketball? Was that something I even wanted? Yeah. I think that changes things for me, too. Yeah, for sure. The perspective, right? Like looking at what you actually want versus what you just kind of aspire towards. There's a lot of there's a lot of inputs online that, that fall into that. But Nathan, tell me, where can people connect with you? Where can people say hello where do you want them to reach you? Instagram's pretty easy, at Nathan. We've got Milestone Strength, which is my coaching, which, yeah, if, if you're looking to become a fitter, stronger, healthier version of yourself, that's where we do everything there, at Milestone Strength. I'm everywhere. I'm on all the social platforms in different variations, but just Nathan's the easiest one to find because it's one word and you can find everything else from there. Awesome. All those links will be in the show notes. Go say hello to Nathan. He responds to all the DMs. While he's in the shower, you might catch him nude, so all the more reason to say hello. Nathan, thank you for being on the <laughs> yeah, show. I'm not sending any photos, but I'll definitely send <laughs> Thanks for being on. Bye. Thanks, man. That was the episode. You just listened to it. Nathan McCallum dropping knowledge bombs. Would you follow your Instagram account? Be honest. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share this episode with a friend that you admire most. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. It'll take five seconds and is a wonderful use of your screen time. The real reason you're still here You want to know the answer to the riddle of the week. What did baby corn say to mama corn? Where's popcorn? Get it? Popcorn? I mean popcorn. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you next Friday at 6 a.m. Be kind, be strong, be disciplined. Goodbye. Bye.